Welcome to Dairy Intelligent, a podcast by VES Artex, a turntide company. Together, we will meet dairy industry intellects and passionate dairy producers to discuss all things cows and connected technologies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of VES Artex's podcast, Dairy Intelligent. I'm your host, Annie, and today I'm joined by Dr. Mike Wolf, consulting veterinarian for VES Artex. Today, we're going to discuss how the back of the barn is where the herd eats, lies, drinks, walks, and lives the majority of their lives. Dr. Wolf is going to provide tangible suggestions from years of experience for making sure the barn is as comfortable as possible. Thanks for being with us today, Dr. Wolf. Why don't you introduce yourself and give us some of your background? Well, good morning, Annie. It's uh, good to have this opportunity to, to meet with you and hopefully uh, pass some information that's uh, valuable to the listeners of this podcast. Again, as Annie said, uh, I'm Dr. Mike Wolf. I'm a veterinarian. I've been in uh, veterinary practice primarily in the dairy industry for the last 42, going on 43 years. I've become involved more in the last 12 in the environment uh, that the animals lived in as we were transitioning from uh, natural ventilated barns to uh, more power ventilated type uh, facilities. And, uh, and in working in those facilities, it's uh, the discovery that we had to learn how to do better, how to get the, uh, the fresh air and the air velocities we wanted down to the animal level. And that's what kind of started this adventure 12 years ago and uh, has grown since then and had a chance to work with dairies, you know, all around the U.S. as well as internationally and in all sorts of different climate conditions and, uh, and housing arrangements. But cows are cows the world around. And so that's what brings us to where we are here today. So to begin with, we often hear a lot of emphasis on cow comfort, but why is it important? Well, if we think of it from the cow's perspective, um, we want to make her life as uh, blissful as we can. Um, when we think of where traditionally she's been out in uh, on grazing outside and in pastures, well, that isn't the, the whole life cycle of the animal, that there are times when they, they do need to be in barns and, uh, and where we've gone to the point where cows are inside all the time because they're providing a lot of those needs that they found in the, the pasture environment and now uh, inside the facility. So we're providing uh, the optimal lying conditions. So we have a nice soft bed for them to lie on. It's sized appropriately so that the cow can get up and, and, and choose to lie down without any struggles or concerns. And I always put it that we want these cows to not have to really think about making uh, too many choices in their lives as to whether they uh, get up to go get another drink of water, another bite of feed. Um, we want them to do that as easily as possible and, uh, and make sure that we're accommodating all their welfare concerns and needs. So looking at the back of the barn, let's start from the bottom with flooring. What do you recommend for floors and what should be avoided? Well, generally in uh, dairy facilities, we're going to have concrete on that floor in order for it to be able to be cleaned and, and be durable. But we also have to make sure that in that uh, durability that it's also kind to the cow's hooves. So it's really important that the type of texture that's put down on that concrete is cow friendly. And uh, there's lots of different examples of what people have attempted over the years. And we have to be mindful that cow's foot has to be able to, uh, the sole of that foot has to be able to lay flat onto that surface, but there also has to be 
some way for it to uh, catch an edge so it's not just like glass. So there's a number of different ways that people have attempted to groove floors and some of them are quite uh, uh, unfriendly to cows and need to either be uh, removed or resurfaced. And there's others that are uh, imaginative where people are using like a cobblestone type stamp design or whatever. But when you think about the way that that tile or cobblestone look is rounded, that's not really supporting that cow's foot the way it should be. So we're generally looking for a, a level uh, uh, surface and that we have the, the grooving set so that uh, these cows can uh, properly you know, place their, their feet on that, on that floor. So generally to cut the grooves in, we're looking at a, about a, a three inch uh, wide space. And then we want that to be, we want that to be about three and a quarter inch on center between the grooves that we're cutting in. And then we wanna make sure they're about a half inch deep and about a three quarters of an inch wide. So that gives a, an edge for that cow to be able to, to catch on as she rises. Uh, or turns to say, come into the stall or get down and, and, and leave the stall. So we wanna make sure that that's uh, that type of surface. Then anything we can do to help improve that by adding rubber in certain areas that are high traffic areas, say in the, uh, the path going to and from the parlor, on the parlor deck and in areas anywhere the cow is gonna make a hard uh, right or left-hand turn. Um, can be abrasive on that sole. So we want to make sure that that's uh, uh, protected by, you know, using a rubber type matting or even at the feed alleys where the cow stands to eat that many dairies will put rubber there also to, uh, um, you know, help uh, make a little more cushion on those cow's feet. But we also have to be mindful that that rubber is not slippery and could lead to some injuries because of, uh, of being too, uh, too slick. So, um, so those are some of the things that, that we can do to help maintain that uh, stability of that hoof on where it meets the concrete. Um, there's a real fine type groove that's been used on some dairies and that can be a little tricky at times with the uh, type of diet and the, the amount of dryness. Sometimes uh, that's not uh, enough of an edge for those cows to catch. And sometimes we'll get a kind of fill um, easily with kind of semi-dried material and it becomes slick. So that's why the preferred uh, method is this more uh, 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 deeper grooved, you know, with that three and a quarter inch on center design so that that cow can uh, properly get good footing when she's moving about the, uh, the dairy facility. So let's move into free stalls. What are your top recommendations for stalls to increase line time and ultimately milk yield? Well, generally, you start with a, a good uh, soft bed, and sand is considered the gold standard uh, for um, soft bedding material for the cow to lie on. And as with any material that we are going to use, it has to be properly maintained. So uh, we can talk about that in a little bit as far as maintaining that. But there's also mattresses with uh, uh, covers that generally need to have some sort of organic material like shavings put on it to help keep it dry as well as help with uh, footing for when the cow uh, gets up. And there's other options that people use with rubber mats that are less uh, friendly. And uh, there's variable degrees of success with water beds as a means for cows to, uh, to provide cow comfort. But uh, again, the gold standard is sand, but depending on the dairies and their capability to handle that <clears throat> with the uh, investment either in the separation lanes and or with uh, 
separator facilities kind of lend it to be more of a larger dairy um, application to amortize that uh, investment in, in capital, you know, to handle that separation system. What are some easy to implement recommendations for dairymen to promote lying time? One of the best is to, again, make sure that that bed is uh, filled properly and bedded properly to uh, accommodate so that the cow, when she does lie down, is able to sit there in what I call the, the bum scores. When you look down that row of cows, are they sitting there with their, their, um, their pins sitting just at the edge of that curb? And we also have to look at the stall design. Is it the proper width? Is the neck rail at the proper height? Is there enough forward lunge space? For her to get up um, like she naturally would if she was out on a, on a green pasture. When she goes to get up, she uh, actually acts like a teeter-totter. She'll get up on her front knees. She lunges forward with her head to throw weight forward. That allows her to then get her hind legs up behind her. It's easier to get up then. And then she will stand up. We want to make sure all these dimensions between the, the, the type of loop that's at her side, the barriers that are in front of her, where the neck rail is, and if there's a, a brisket board in, incorporated into that design that they're all in the right place. So it's easier for that cow to come in, to lie down, and it's easy for her to get up and go to take on the rest of her daily functions, whether it's going to eat, drink, or go to the parlor. So when you're walking in the back of the freestyle barn, what are some signs that the cows may not be truly comfortable? One of the biggest things to watch for is, uh, are the cows perching? Are they bunching? Are the cows, once they're engaged in that stall, they should within just a matter of five to eight seconds should be lying down because she's choosing to go in there to actually do that function. But if she's standing there thinking about it, that's an indication that something else is going on. Either the size of the stall uh, is inhibitor from her to naturally uh, lie down, or maybe she's hot and she's standing or perching just because she wants to get air moving around her. So Again, we have to be mindful. What are the cows telling us in terms of their uh, uh, comfort or just what are they seeing that, that's keeping them from, from actually behaving like we would like them to do to engage and lie down when cows are standing more than they should, whether it's on concrete or perched at the edge of the stall, that's putting excess forces on their feet and can lead to some hoof problems down the road that we especially see in the fall if we're not uh, providing uh, good cooling uh, during the summer months uh, for these cows generally show up about three months later uh, once the effects of that uh, internal effects on the hoof growth start exhibiting in themselves or showing themselves at the surface of the hoof. Headlocks are a very useful tool on dairies. How can they be best utilized for cow comfort? Well, the first thing is they have to be sized appropriately for the animals that we're going to be placing there. And there's guidelines for all these, whether we're talking about stalls or the uh, the headlocks, and generally uh, for mature uh, Holsteins, we're looking at 24 inch openings. And uh, when we start getting into uh, the uh, transition cows, we want to be looking at 30 inch openings just to accommodate that cow that has, we want to be able to have a, a good fill for uh, intakes to make sure that she's uh, keeping her, uh, her uh, metabolic status in balance. Uh, energy balance and status because she's uh, growing this calf and also the, the calf growing in her makes her girth a bit wider. So in those cases, we want to be using a, a 30 inch stall or plan for that sort of occupancy so that those cows have plenty of room to get at the feed bunk during that critical time in their uh, 
uh, gestation and, and, and life cycle of production, as well as making sure the stalls maybe are a little bit bigger for the, uh, the dry cow group, uh, especially the mature cows, so that they can uh, lie comfortably in their stall if we're using a free stall setup. So we know that many barns today were built 20 or 30 years ago, and the cows have potentially changed in breed or size. What do you recommend? Well, again, they, there's, uh, there's standards that have been created. The Dairyland Initiative has charts that they've developed that give you a starting point for the size of the animals that you're dealing with um, to set up these, um, these stalls. And that'll give you a good uh, uh, guideline that you can get from that website regarding where to start with. Then once you put it in, if you use uh, stall designs that allow you some flexibility of changing your neck whale uh, uh, locations, your brisket location, locator location, uh, stall widths, you know, all these things, you know, give you some indication what, and look at what the cows are telling you. Are they utilizing the stall? Are they setting in there properly? You know, are they diagonal lying? Are they lying straight? Uh, watch them when they get up and down. Do they look like they're, they're having difficulty? Do we have obstacles in front of them that are going to inhibit that, that head bob zone when they lunge forward to get up? Is there some um, obstruction in the way? Those are the, the key things that, again, think about that cow getting up out on a pasture of how naturally we want her to be able to get up by lunging forward uh, with her chin coming perhaps just four inches off the, the, uh, the uh, stall level like they would if they were out on the grass and then standing up uh, unobstructed. So again, listen to what the cows are telling you and uh, we'll give you a good idea whether you're heading in the right direction. But again, there are some standards based on your cow sizes as to where you should be setting these stalls and then uh, uh, you know, segregating by whether it's by parity or uh, size of the animals that you would put into these, uh, these different pens that are adjusted for first lactation versus more mature cows uh, and pregnant animals. All right, I think it's time for us to look up in the freestyle barn and talk about fans. What ventilation KPI targets do you recommend as a general rule of thumb? Well, we wanna make sure we're getting uh, good airflow on these cows. Um, and how we set the fans together. And again, that goes back to what type of fan you're selecting. Uh, and we start with recirculating fans. Um, the distance that we want these fans apart is gonna be based on the size and the uh, design of that fan. Uh, if you take a, a, a three blade fan of really any size, they tend uh, to run at a higher RPM. So they will tend to throw air a more narrower pattern, but a bit longer. If you go to a slower running like panel fan with uh, like five blades, they tend to have a broader but shorter throw. So again, based on the fan you're selecting is going to make a difference as to how far you put these fans apart and how many you install. And there are efficiency gained in terms of some of the larger fans that um, can cover more area, which in, you know reduces your installation costs because you have to run less electrical wiring because you have less fans to run to as well as uh, the fans that have a way of directing that airflow more into what we call the uh, the cow occupied zone um, that's in that six feet or less is where we really want to be focusing that airspeed 
So again, we want to have, you know, at least, and that's bare minimum, is that, uh, you know, one meter per second, which is right around two, two and a quarter miles an hour. And that's bare minimum. In the old days, that was the, if you arrived at that level with your airspeed, it's like, you're good enough. Well, we found that that's basically the minimum. And we'd like to have over most of your uh, cow occupied area, that airspeed up closer to uh, that uh, four and a half to five miles an hour is more of an optimal target uh, to make sure that we're covering the full length of the fan spacing. And again, those things are all set based on the type of fan that you're going to use as to how close together they should be and how they should be directed. As far as exhaust fans, we're starting to look at in these power ventilated barns, we want to be somewhere in that 1,250 to 1,500 CFM per animal uh, in that barn so that we're um, creating enough uh, exchange of air based on the, the stocking density of the barn. Now, many barns are designed for maybe 100% um, capacity, but as, as a dairyman may move that up to 10 or 20% above occupancy, that's adding more BTUs, more humidity, more gases, and uh, it had to be removed from that barn. So that's where the, uh, the amount of CFM per cow becomes a critical um, calculation in terms of uh, how much fan capacity has to be in that barn. The other is uh, the air exchanges per hour. We uh, generally like to be somewhere between 40 to 60. And again, each one of these variables uh, can play up and down within that, as long as we're keeping those KPIs in mind of hitting both the CFM per cow, as well as the air exchange strategy. And then, uh, then it comes to uh, what, uh, how are we maintaining that velocity on the cows, whether it's a tunnel or cross vent barn, whether we're using baffles or we're using some uh, recirculation fan assistance. So it, it becomes quite complicated in how these are all put together to optimize getting the right airspeed at the animal level and get the proper air exchange. So if we were to walk through the barn, what are some telltale signs that cows are in heat stress? Well, as I mentioned before, if we have cows that are bunching, uh, there's several things that can be doing that. Uh, it can be heat. It can also be avoidance of uh, bright lights because they look at that as being a uh, indicator of heat. Um, flies will make a cow's bunch and uh, as well as stressors, anything that stresses animals that they sense, their tendency is to bunch together to uh, kind of protect themselves from, if you want to call it the wolves. And one of the wolves in this case is uh, the heat stress. And so uh, if we see cows perching, uh, again, if we see them uh, standing more, the other is if you see them at the water trough and they're not really drinking, they're uh, actually, what I call it is, is hoarders. There's certain cows, the dominant cows, they're gonna stand at that water to make sure they've got access to it. And so it reduces the ability for animals to, subordinate animals to have access to that water. And so having multiple locations, and we're generally looking at over three inches, even uh, three and a half to four inches, depending on where you are in terms of how much water available we should have. Since that's uh, the uh, first in major ingredient of milk, we wanna make sure that that, that that has to be readily available to all animals, uh, regardless of their uh, social status in the, 
in the barn hierarchy so that uh, they're, they can express their full potential to, to produce milk, even though they may not be the, the dominant or boss cows of the bunch. So, uh, so that's a huge um, indicator that these cows are hot if you see them standing around waters. Another thing that can be that if it's not a hot day, um, it could be that they just don't have adequate flow and that uh, even though you may have enough waters, you're not getting enough flow into those uh, waters, especially when the cows come back from uh, uh, the parlor when they really want to drink water. So making sure there's access even along the return lane if possible and or when they do get back to the uh, barn that they can have full access to, to drink as much as they need uh, with uh, make sure there's adequate flow into each of those pens and waters as, as they return. And another one that's kind of a, an outlier that, but it can be uh, another indicator um, of what's going on if we see cows around the water trough but not drinking is, uh, is stray voltage. But generally that's pretty highly uh, uh, attended to in the construction of barns nowadays, not to say they can exist, but it, it's, it's one of those things that, that's uh, been uh, highly recognized in the dairy industry. And a lot of things are done to make sure that that's, that's truly minimized. So, but uh, under the heat stress, those are some of the major indicators is uh, and you'll even see cows at times standing in the water and uh, or if they find where there's areas of your barn that are not sloped properly, you'll find cows standing in those water areas. Because if you think of it, a cow's hoof uh, is capable to stand all sorts of extremes of temperature. So uh, there has to be a tremendous amount of blood flow going to those hooves that cows can stand out in a snowbank and not freeze their feet. And so in that same light that in the, in the days when cattle had access to the, the creek or, the, or a pond, they would go out and, uh, and stand in those areas because they are wanting to radiate some of that heat out through their feet. And so they will stand in water. And so you'll see at times uh, certain cows will stand in the water. And that's why we should have a, a rail or barrier around there so that they can't do that because that's contaminating the water for everybody in that group if they're uh, uh, allowed to uh, put their, their feet in the water as well as it helps prevent cows from uh, potentially um, passing manure into the, in the water. And then that becomes a huge uh, importance to the dairyman. Make sure these waters are cleaned on a regular basis based on the, the load that's occurring in that, that barn. But uh, a lot of dairies will do that daily during, during peak demands to make sure that water stays fresh. Um, and again, uh, at least, uh, you know, three times a week is, is would be a good target to, to be shooting for. So um, again, water is so important and it's a huge indicator what the cows are thinking about uh, in terms of their environment. Well, I'm glad you brought up water because that is the last topic I wanted to touch on. So soaking lines can be a great component of a cow cooling strategy. How should they be used and set up for maximum efficiency? Well, we generally are making sure that, that when we're soaking these cows that we're starting probably in the oh the like 70 to 72 degrees we should be having these soakers come on and they'll maybe run uh, for a minute um, and as they rotate around the barn generally they're grouped in in groups of like four pins so they're on for a, a minute and then they're off for let's say 15 as that goes around and then from there 
we increase that to where uh, at maximum they're probably running uh, uh, for a minute, but then every five minutes they'd be back around to do again as as we ramp that up from that 70 to 72 degrees to start it up to once they're into the uh, close to 80 degrees, 78 to 80, that those uh, uh, soakers are are running at that more rapid uh, schedule. So um, so that's a huge, the other is when we look at how many gallons per minute, um, you know, most of the, 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 the nozzles are somewhere around that one to 1.1 or 1.2 gallons per minute. And then um, depending on uh, your, your water availability that uh, if you get that cow soaked from, and we want it to be soaked from like the shoulder, the withers area to her, her hook bones. We don't want her to get water running down the back of the other. So the way those nozzles are set up, generally they're set uh, just uh, within like a foot to maybe two above where the cows stand at the feed bunk. And then they're directed so that they wet just that area, but we don't want it shooting over the back of the cow while it'll run down uh, across the teat ends. So, and once we get that cow wet, and, and maybe within 30 to 40 seconds is enough to get her wet and then have air flow over that uh, to reduce the amount of water that we're using uh, can get to be a real factor on dairy. So titrating that to, to get the best effect. And then when it comes to spacing, depending on the, the, the nozzle size and what you're using, uh, somewhere between, uh, um, you know, a lot of them are, at that six to seven feet, depending on that, that fan uh, width, uh, with some of the, the newer uh, soaking technology that's coming down the pipe, where the, the sensor will see that there's a cow there, those are narrowed up to, to say five feet of coverage as, uh, as that technology progresses. So that's something that's in the pipeline that we'll probably see more of, especially in areas where uh, water is a, a premium to make sure we're not having water being uh, cast out into an empty alley where no cows are actually there to take the benefit of it. So there's a lot of things in uh, coming down the pipeline and technology that's going to help a lot with uh, with how water is used more effic efficiently and effectively. So we're now at the end of our conversation, but before we wrap up, what does an animal-centered environment mean for you? Well, to me, it means that we're, we're meeting that cow's really as basic needs. And, and we got to think of ourselves of looking at her environment from her perspective instead of from ours, you know, standing out maybe outside that pen in the feed alley that they actually start experiencing what her environment is. Look how, how does she get up and down? You know, what is the fill of the beds? How, how are the cows reacting um, to their environment? is feeding back a lot of what her perspective is. And if we listen to what we're seeing, if you put it that way, you know, cows are very uh, honest about uh, uh, what they think about the environments that they're in. And sometimes it's a little hard to figure out what they're telling us, but uh, we're learning more and more all the time to understand what they're, they're telling us. And, uh, and some of them are, are fairly easy to understand if we just take the minute to actually look at what are these cows telling us in terms of their environment and what can we do to improve that. And even to the point of, of just getting in and lying in the bed where that cow is, especially when it's hot. If you were lying where that cow is, 
how much airflow and how fresh is the air where, where, where she would be. And so sometimes uh, uh, maybe humbling ourselves to experience the world from her perspective um, goes a long way with understanding that aha moment of maybe we just got to redirect the fans we have, or maybe we got to add some more fans to this barn to help that environment. Maybe we need to get more bedding in here because uh, we're not grooming these stalls. If it's sand or say manure solids bedding, we're not uh, leveling these beds as properly as we should and, and doing it as frequently as we should. So again, uh, the cows are giving us a lot of information. We just need to take that that moments to uh, actually look at it and understand it. So thanks again, Dr. Wolf, for your time and insights. You are a wealth of information and truly the godfather of cow comfort. So thanks again, and we will see everyone in our next episode. Thank you for joining us for another Dairy Intelligent episode. We hope you have found some suggestions to improve cow comfort on your farm, or simply just learn something new. If you have not already, please be sure to subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast platform and let your friends know about us. We would love to have them listen and learn.